uh, rather than one single sermon, we will each um, take a time during this service and we'll talk about uh, someone, a woman or women who inspired us along the way. And we hope you find that inspiring. And as you're saying your own prayers of gratitude as we welcome Shabbat, we hope you'll be thinking of all of the, particularly tonight, the Shabbat, the women who inspired you along, along the way. As the rabbi said earlier, we're each going to share a few words about a woman who, ins <clears throat> excuse me, who inspired us in our leadership, in our, in our life today. And I'm going to share with you a teacher. Um, I, I'll bet a lot of us have teachers that inspired us. Well, my teacher was, uh, is, she's actually still alive, thank God, the Yemenite, the famous huge Yemenite singer and dancer. Some of you already have heard me talk about her. Her name is Margalit Oved. Does it, anybody here ever come? Oh, you, I knew it would be you. Margalit <laughs> Oved. That's awesome. Oh, we have to talk later. Um, she was born in Aden, which is now part of uh, Yemen. And you, you might have heard the story. It was called the Magic Carpet Operation in 1949. Um, they, and it was called that because those Jews were so cut off from uh, sort of modern society that they had never seen an airplane before. And they called it the magic carpet that actually brought 50, 49,000 Jews from Yemen to Israel. And this is really now, we have so many Yemenite Jews in Israel, and they came from this, from this event. And um, Margalit, she was, um, when she was young, she was in what's called Inbal, which is the um, Yemenite dance and song company in Israel. In, in Yemenite culture, there, you can't separate dance and song. They go together. So, because um, singing has dancing and, and they're, it's all one art form. Anyway, she, as a young woman, she was the prima ballerina of Inbal. And then um, some years later, she came to Los Angeles where she taught in the dance department at UCLA, where I studied. So I was so lucky. UCLA dance department? No way. Okay, we need to talk. Okay. <laughs> Um, <laughs> awesome. So she taught Yemenite dance and singing. And here we were, like, I don't know, 40 lanky, gawky uh, college students sitting on the floor around her, sitting in her chair with her drum, and she would sing and tell stories and, and also get up and teach us dances. And it, we were mesmerized and hypnotic. She was really a magical um, being artist. And... Um, my, big, my, my last name is Addie, but she would call me Athea. And she, I think because I'm, I'm half Syrian, so she, I don't think she ever knew my first name. <laughs> but she Athea, Athea, show, the, show them how to do it, Athea. <laughs> and I was so, it was like my biggest pride that she would call me out like that. Um, anyway, she was just so full of spirit and life. There's an expression in Hebrew, it says, Isha Sher Yesh Bo. So she was Isha Asher Yesh Ba. She was a woman that had great spirit inside of her. And um, she had a huge influence on me. And um, if you want to know more about her, there's actually a documentary made about her artistry. I'll, I'll, you can ask me about it later, and I'll, I'll direct you to that from Buckminster Fuller. You remember him? Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. His daughter made a, a documentary about her. Um, so that's who I wanted to share with you, bring a little bit of Margalit Oved. To you, I, I teach, by the way, things that I've learned from her to our kids, because there's a, a lot of kids-friendly material that I learned from her. I do want to say that there are four women rabbis up here, and that when I went, I mean, four women clergy up here, and when I went to rabbinical school in 1992, it was no longer a big deal 
to be a woman going to rabbinical school when you think about women uh, first ordained in 1972. But it was a big deal that I was a lesbian. So I just want to remind all of us that it takes a while for things to be accepted. So I was one of the first queer rabbis to be ordained. I was ordained in 1997. There's actually somebody here can really attest to my roots as being a complete tomboy, and that's Jack's grandma, Recky, who knew me 50 years ago. And so, you know, we were called tomboys back then. There wasn't a clear way of gender expression, uh, but I'm very proud to be she, they, the one on our clergy staff. And I would say that I had mostly, as you can imagine, male role models as rabbis, right? Because there weren't any women rabbis. But I had phenomenal teachers growing up that were women. And so I wanted to mention three of my teachers. The first one was when I was at Oxford University in the 1980s. And I was studying Hebrew literature and I was studying Shakespeare. What was so interesting to me is all of my professors at Oxford were men except for one. And she was a South African professor named Professor Glenda Abramson. And instead of turning me on to English, I got completely turned on to Yehuda Amichai's poetry. She was so incredibly inspiring to me. And she was my first very renowned female professor. And the second female professor was the first woman who was a professor at the Hebrew Union College at the seminary. And when we interviewed Sally Prezan the other day, she said that when she was first a rabbi in 1972, at the first conferences where she would show up, when she would show up, young women would say, she's here, she's here, because it was, it's hard to imagine. But it was unbelievable for young women to look and see there's actually a woman rabbi here. And that's the era I grew, I grew up in. And when I got to Los Angeles, to the Hebrew Union College, I had that moment too, because the first woman who was given a tenure-track position at the Hebrew Union College was Dr. Tamara Eskenazi from Israel. Um, Tamara Eskenazi and Dr. Abramson are both in their 80s now. Um, to me, it was revolutionary to be able to really to sit at their feet and to absorb Yehuda Amichai, and Tamara Eskenazi gave me my love of the Hebrew Bible, of Torah, uh, which is the basis for all of our stories, for all of our wisdom. Finally, my last teacher, Aleva Shalom, is Gilda Radner. And when, when I think about the importance of humor in my own life. Uh, I think the fact that I was able to laugh at myself and be okay with other people laughing at me and then getting other people to laugh with me was the secret in many ways as a queer little kid to being able to make it through. And so I think about the seriousness of Torah and the seriousness of poetry and how it lifted my soul. But then I think about Gilda Radner and watching her and saying, that's a fabulous, bright, beautiful Jewish woman and I wanna be like her too. So um, if any of you have laughed along with some of my sermons, you have Gilda Radner to thank for that. <laughs> we shared at the beginning of our service that we're each taking turns talking about a woman or women who influenced us, who've inspired us in the work that we do. And in order to talk about the person that I want to tell you about, I have to tell you how we met. I, it was years ago in Seattle, many years ago when I was leading my first trip ever to Israel, and I wanted to make sure that the 40 or so people going on the trip had an opportunity to meet some of the great leaders of the reform movement. And the tour company sent me a wonderful schedule, and we were meeting the head of this and the head of that. And one of the heads happened to be speaking on a Friday night at our synagogue in Seattle months before um, this trip, and I said, oh, I'm so excited you're going to be speaking at 
my trip the, the, all the people I'm bringing from this community to Israel and he looked at my schedule and he said oh I'm going to be I'm going to be in another country then I'm not going to be there and he said and I hate I hate to tell you this I can tell it's your first trip but generally these tour companies they give you all these names but you don't necessarily meet those people. They'll have someone for you to meet. I was disappointed. We went, we had a phenomenal time in Israel, and it's true. Some of the leaders showed up, many of the leaders did not. And um, it was a Wednesday night. We were back in our hotel in Jerusalem. It was pouring rain. We had this speaker coming at 7.30 at night, and I, I just was sure she was not going to come. But in the pouring rain, in sort of when one would want to go home and be with one's family, Anat Hoffman walked in and sat in our circle of 40 people and just mesmerized us. And just from that very start, when I met her for the first time, and she's so indefatigable, Anat Hoffman, um, and if you haven't heard of her before, I encourage you to look her up and find out about the work that she does. She's the executive director in Israel of the Israel Religious Action Center. She's a founding member of Women at the Wall, and every month these women go to the women's side of the wall to lead uh, Rosh Chodesh, a first of the month service, and the ultra-Orthodox rabbi at the wall tries to stop them and they've used every possible tactic and they come every single month. She's always there smiling and with energy leading. Um, Anat Hoffman was born in Haifa in 1954, but I think she came out to UCLA for college and she became a competitive swimmer and she went back to Israel and focused her life on religious pluralism so that all of us can always have a place in Israel. We're very pro, ultra-Orthodox, pro-Orthodox, but we want there to be a place for every different kind of Jew, including renewal, reconstructionist, conservative, and reform Jews. She has a slogan, Yesh Yoter Miderech Echad Lehiot Yehudi. There's more than one way to be a Jew, and she's out there fighting for that for all of us every day. She's fearless and relentless. She never backs down. She goes to court all the time to fight for these rights and make them the law. And the most amazing thing that is, inspires me about Anat Hoffman is that she is relentlessly hopeful and optimistic, and she never, ever loses her sense of humor. I grew up in a time when there were no female religious role models. All men, all the time. All my teachers, most of them men. All my conservatory music teachers and my voice teacher, men. This is hard. Who was my female role model? Here we go, my mom. My mom worked from the time I was a, practically a toddler. I was a latchkey kid at school, probably one of the first. She taught me to be independent to be proud, and never to assume that I couldn't do anything. And it also helped that I was a singer and a soprano, so men couldn't do that. Well, now they do, but you know, they didn't then. So it was, it was kind of a, an easy gig, you know, to grow up with a mother like that, with women in the family that were all the most, you know, interesting women, and um, didn't really know that a woman could be a cantor until I was triple cast on an opera once, I was Don Giovanni, and the 
the, the girl cast in the third role, the, the third cast, who never got to perform it actually, told me she was going to cantorial school and I said, how dare you? You can't be a cantor, you're a woman. And I guess that kind of, that kind of rolled around my brain for a couple of years and I pursued my opera career, I pursued my art song career and you know concert career and that was where I was going. And then one day, I was living in Israel for three years, could speak the language finally fluently, came back to the United States with toddler in tow and no opera career on the horizon after that. It was too difficult. So eventually I wound my way into a reform synagogue, which was something my father said you should never go into. They make you take your hats off. And, um, and I did have um, a minimal cheder education when I was around 10 years old, 11 years old. I went to an Orthodox synagogue, all men teachers. And um, so I had, I had this kernel, this love for Judaism, this love for Israel. I think Golda Meir was a great female role model for, for women. Um, as far as vocal, stuff. I mean, my mother was always playing Hannah Aroni and Shoshana Damari records in the house, so I heard female voices singing Hebrew. And God, I loved Barbara Streisand. <laughs> now there was a role model. I mean, there was, a, there was something to aspire to. Um, but female cantors, this was not something that was so, you know, easy to digest. But I wound up going to Hebrew Union College after a congregation that I was singing at in the choir encouraged me to become a cantor. And I went, eh, sounds like a deal. So, you know, I, I went to Hebrew Union College, went into the room. There were eight women in the class and one guy. We got rid of him really quickly. <laughs> we were the first all women female cantorial, well, women, female, right? Cantorial class to graduate from Hebrew Union College. And that was a real source of pride for us. And we all did pretty well. Um, but I guess if I'm looking at a role model, and I, I know that Beth knows this person, the cantor, the female cantor that I met while I was a student at Hebrew Union College was an absolutely exquisite, elegant woman, mature, beautifully trained voice, mezzo-soprano, very lush. And her name was Helene Reps. And she, was, she had gravitas, and she had the presence of someone that you would want to say is your clergy person, is your cantor. And so I modeled myself in a way on her just to feel that this was, you know, well, the first day I went to cantorial school, I looked around the room and we had speeches and I went, oh, this is serious. So it was serious and she was serious. And Helene is still, still out there and, and just as lovely and wonderful as ever. And so I wanna pay tribute to her, but I also wanna tell you that there were women in the past who did not receive recognition as cantors they were kind of performers, but they sang cantorial music, and they were brilliant. People like Basheva. You can hear these recordings on YouTube very often. Basheva, Paralitzweig, uh, Shandel the Chazen. Shandel the Chazen. These were women who actually imitated male cantors, 
And they did a really fine job of it. I mean, you know, Basheva was like, you know, she made these wonderful recordings and I would listen to them and go, wow, you know, this is really something. And I also want to say that when I came here, I was touted as the first woman cantor in San Francisco. And officially, yeah. But out there, there's a picture of a woman named Julie Rosewald. She was a soloist here in the 19th century. She was brought here, she, was, she, was a, she had a fine Jewish background, German-Jewish background, and she also was a very fine opera singer. Very well known, she had beautiful reviews. She was brought here because she lived in San Francisco and she was singing in the temple with the cantor at the time, I believe was Max Wolf. Max Wolf became ill and he passed away. Julie Rosewald sang services here as the cantor. They called her Cantor Soprano and she was here for nine years and she deserves that title of first woman cantor probably ever anywhere. So this congregation has that um, wonderful legacy of having accepted this so, so far long ago when no one would have accepted a female cantor. And although she wasn't official, I think after nine years, you kind of, you know, it's kind of like, uh, what is that, you know? common law marriage or something, you know, you, you become a cantor. So I just want to point her out, and there's a wonderful article on her, a beautiful article in um, American Judaism magazine or something like that. You can find it online. Incredible history of this woman, and I just feel so proud to have carried on that sort of legacy here from her.